Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, it's good to be with you guys this week. Uh, we're in the second week of our series that we're calling Future Tents. And in this series, we are addressing a biblical question. What if it is the end of the world? And, and we're asking this question because I don't know if you're rubbing shoulders, talking to your neighbors, maybe at work, there's just there's this sense that what's going on in the world is it, it, kind of unraveling. It, it, there's this sense that maybe everything is coming apart at the seams and there's just a lot of fear. So we're addressing this question and, and we wanna know if it is the end of the world, what do we need to know? From a biblical perspective, what is it that we need to know about the future? And I'll tell you why this is so important. A lot of people right now are, like I said, they're in bondage to fear. They're shackled to fear. But this is what Jesus said in John chapter eight, verse 32. He said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so what we're learning in this series is what is the biblical truth that we need to know about the future and how do we respond? Now, if you were here last week, you know that we learned that one day Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. We, we call it the second coming. Over 300 times there's references in the New Testament that one day Jesus is going to come back to this earth. And we learned after he returns to the earth that there's gonna be two judgments. Uh, one is gonna be for those who are Christians, believers, those who have responded to the gospel. And they're going to be rewarded. We're going to be rewarded as to how we lived our lives, how we invested our time, our treasure, our talent. And then there's going to be another uh, judgment, and it's going to be for unbelievers. And then at the end of these judgments, what's going to happen? We're going to part. And some people are going to go to a place that the Bible calls heaven, and the other people are going to go to a place that the Bible calls hell. Now, let me just say something about hell, and I'm not going to talk about it till next week, but you don't want to miss it. I promise you that. God did not create hell for people. God originally, initially created hell for Satan and his angels. But then when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and there was the fall and man had the opportunity to reject God, we're gonna see in the book of Isaiah that God actually had to enlarge hell to allow room for the people that he knew they were gonna reject being in a relationship with him. So some people will go to heaven, some people will go to hell. We're gonna start on a positive note, and this weekend we're gonna talk about heaven. By the way, let me just say something. You know what, I've been pastoring, this is my 40th year of teaching on the weekend. That means I have no life whatsoever, okay? 40 years I've been doing this on the weekend. 25 years I've been doing this at Hope. I've covered these topics a lot. But let me tell you what's different about covering them this time around. I call it context. I'll give you an example. If I were to sit up here and teach from James chapter one, and if I were to talk about how we can, we can have joy when we are enduring trials and testings and tough times in our life. See, if you're sitting listening or you're watching at home and, and you got a great job and there's plenty of money and your marriage is good and your health is good and your kids are behaving, it's, it's not gonna really have a lot of impact on your life. It's just not relevant as to where you are in life. But if I talk about how you can find joy even in times of suffering and you just found out that you were diagnosed with cancer or you just lost your job 
or your marriage is falling apart, or maybe one of your children has gone prodigal, all of a sudden, you're gonna sit up and listen because it's a relevant topic, it's gonna impact your life. Why, what's the difference? Well, perspective changes everything. Perspective changes everything. In the same way, when we address a topic like this fear of the future, is it the end of the world? And as I said, that is a biblical topic. That's not a humanity topic, that is a biblical topic. It is going to happen one day, is this it? Well, if we're sitting around and life is good, if our marriages are good, if our kids are good, if the stock market is rising and rising and rising and our 401k is doing okay, right? If, the, if there's low unemployment, there's not a lot of reason to worry about this kind of stuff is the end near. Who cares, right? You're just enjoying life. But all of a sudden, let a pandemic hit. And I don't know about you, are you starting to get the feeling nobody really knows what's going on? I mean, do you feel like, will it ever be over? Are we gonna be wearing masks for the rest of our lives? Are we gonna be social distancing for the rest of our lives? When we think we're on top of it, now it's surging again. We don't really know. We don't really know what the long-term effect's gonna be of COVID-19. And then all of a sudden, a lot of people have lost their jobs and unemployment has climbed. And then on top of that, Maybe you're like me, you got a 401k and it kind of depends on the stock market and it's what's going on there. You wonder, will I ever retire? And then we have riots and unrest in our streets. Nature isn't cooperating. I mean, we've had so many hurricanes this year. We're now until the Greek alphabet and one's getting ready to hit again this weekend. But there's all of this uncertainty. And now all of a sudden, maybe a topic that had no relevance last year this time, all of a sudden it's become relevant. All of a sudden now, guess what? God has got our attention. I like how A.W. Tozer said it. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. See, we won't really need God when things are going great. And often we don't hear what he's saying to us, but you know what? God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And so when we're going through these times of uncertainty, we're more in tune to what God is saying, how he's speaking into our lives. And I think that God is speaking. So let's talk about heaven. Are you planning to go to heaven? Think about how much time you plan, uh, put into planning your family vacation to go to Disney World for a week or maybe on a 10-day cruise. And you're gonna be gone for a week or a week and a half, right? You're gonna be in heaven if you go there for all eternity. So you should know something about heaven. So we're gonna talk about heaven, we'll talk about hell next week. By the way, the number one question I get asked by women in regards to heaven is this. Will my pets be in heaven? <laughs> to which I answer, yours may be, mine will not. <laughs> I can say with 100% certainty that every pet, every pet the, the Lee family has ever owned has gone straight to hell. I promise you that. <laughs> Except maybe one dog. One dog, Josie, may sneak into heaven if there are, are dogs in heaven. What's the number one question that men want to know about heaven? Will there be sex in heaven? <laughs> now, this may explain some of our marriage challenges. <laughs> Women are worried about, is my dog going to be in heaven? Is Fufu going to be there? Men are worried about, are we gonna have sex in heaven? And one man even asked me, and if we are, does it have to be with our wife? So anyway, we got a whole lot of issues going on. So this is what I'm gonna do this weekend. I am gonna give you 10 biblical facts about heaven. They come straight from the Bible. We're gonna, listen, buckle your seatbelt, because here we go. Fact number one, heaven is a real location. 
Remember in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. They still don't understand that he's gonna die on the cross, uh, that he's gonna be raised from the dead. He's trying to explain to them that he's gonna go away so that the Holy Spirit will come. And so what does he say? Let not your heart be troubled. In other words, quit being so fearful. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And then he said this, and I go to prepare a place. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, John chapter 14, verse two. See that word place? It's the Greek word tapos, T-O-P-O-S. We get our word topography from it. But literally, this is what it means, a geographical location. So this is what Jesus was saying. I am going there to prepare a geographical location for you. So you gotta understand, heaven is not just a state of mind. Heaven is a destination. Heaven is a real place. Now, if you have your Bible, whether you're at home or whether you're watching or here live, Grab a big chunk of the Bible and go all the way to the back, okay? If you get to the book of Concordance, you went a little too far, back it up. You're gonna find the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter six because I am telling you there is a gold mine of information in Revelation chapter six in just three verses. Let me just read it to you. Revelation six beginning in verse nine. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So these are people that have been martyred because of their faith. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. But there's several things right away that we can learn about heaven in just these three verses. We saw already, first of all, that heaven is a real place. Fact number two, we will have bodies in heaven. And I mentioned that because a lot of people believe that when we go to heaven, we're gonna be like some kind of wispy spirits kind of floating around on a cloud, you know, playing a harp and eating grapes. It's not gonna be like that, it's not gonna be the case. I mean, think about it. Why did these martyrs have robes in heaven if they didn't have bodies? But Paul talks about this when you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He talks about the difference and the comparison between an earthly body and a heavenly body. The whole chapter talks about it, but let me just show you a few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47. It says, the first man was of the dust of the earth. Now, who was the first man? It was Adam. Remember, God created him from the dust of the ground. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And at that moment, Adam became a living being. By the way, in the Hebrew, the word Adam means red dirt. I've got a son named Red Dirt. I don't know why we named him that. But the first man was of the dust of the earth. That's Adam. The second man is of heaven. That's a reference to Jesus. So now I'm going to read the verse, just putting the names in and, and, and leaving out the first man and the second man. Okay. Adam was of the dust of the earth. Jesus is of heaven. As was Adam, so are those who are of the earth. That would include us. And as is Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. In other words, who have a heavenly body. And just as we have borne the image of Adam, so shall we bear the image of Jesus. What that means is this. When it comes to our earthly bodies, Adam is our example. When it comes to our heavenly bodies, Jesus is our example. Jesus had an earthly body. We know that he got tired. We know that he got hungry. I'm sure there were times that he got sick. I'm sure he got headaches and sore throats and threw up occasionally, probably sneezed every once in a while. I'm sure his feet got sore and probably were covered from blisters from wearing those sandals walking all over Palestine. We know that he suffered and died a physical death. 
But we also know that after Jesus died, three days later, he rose from the dead and he was resurrected with a heavenly body. And even though he had a heavenly body, well, he still walked on the earth and he still ate and he still hung out with other people. In other words, he did the things that we do every day. But there's one interesting occasion, even though he's hanging out with guys, eating, doing the things he would normally do, there's one occasion after the resurrection where the disciples are locked in a room. Remember, they're thinking Jesus died on the cross, we're probably going to be next. So they're hiding from the authorities, and I don't know if Jesus did it just to freak them out a little bit, but instead of knocking, Jesus just walked through the door. And so that tells us that our heavenly bodies will be different, but yet at the same time, they're gonna be the same. He walked through a door, but then he walked up to Thomas, doubting Thomas, and said, Thomas, let me have your hand. Feel that? You feel where the spike went in? Thomas like, oh, wow. Hey, feel right here, Thomas. You feel where the spear went into my side? So understand there's a definite connection between our physical body and our heavenly body. So we'll have bodies in heaven. Fact number three, when we die, we go to heaven immediately. And I mention that because some people believe that when you die, you enter into kind of a, a suspended state until Jesus actually returns in, in Revelation chapter 20, uh, 19 and talks about that. But understand, the Bible doesn't teach anything about this, this suspended state. The Bible doesn't talk anything about a purgatory. The Bible teaches that when we die, if we're Christians, if we've responded to the gospel, if we have been reconciled back into a relationship with God through what Jesus Christ for, for, has done for us, listen, we immediately go to heaven. I mean, go back to Revelation chapter six. These martyrs have died, but where are they? They're in heaven talking to God, and the second coming hasn't occurred yet because this is Revelation chapter six. The second coming doesn't take place to Revelation chapter 19. But understand, they are already in the presence of God. Another example, what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross who believed that Jesus was who he said he was? Jesus said, today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul adds this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You may have heard the old translation, absent from the body, present with the Lord. My point is this. When we die, we go immediately to heaven. I was standing by my brother-in-law's uh, hospital bed when he took his last breath. He got diagnosed in April of pancreatic cancer. He passed away in July. I was standing there with my sister-in-law and he took his last breath and she says, he's in heaven. When he took his last breath here on earth, he took his first breath in heaven. So understand, when we die, we go immediately to heaven. Fact number four, we will have emotions in heaven. Notice what it says, Revelation chapter six. This is, these martyrs, they care, they, care, they care very, very deeply about what's taking place on the earth. They're like, hey, listen, God, when are you going to avenge what happened to us? That, that really bothered them. We're gonna have emotions in heaven. There'll be times when we're happy. There'll be times when we're sad. Let me, let me give you a couple examples. Luke 15, verse seven, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing, that's certainly an emotion, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So there's rejoicing, but at the, end of the other end of the spectrum, it says in Revelation 21, verse four, he, God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. I talked about this last week, we alluded to it. So there's gonna be sadness, there's gonna be sorrow. I think there is gonna be a sense of regret when we finally meet Jesus and realize 
how little we've done. I don't care how much we've done. It's gonna feel like we've done so little compared to what he did for us. But understand, we will have emotions in heaven. Fact number five, we will not know everything in heaven. And I mention that because I've heard my whole life, oh, when I get to heaven, I'll know everything. But notice in Revelation chapter six, verse 10, the martyrs are still asking questions. They asked, how long, sovereign God, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So they didn't know everything. We saw last week, Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 32, but about that day or hour, and he was talking about the second coming, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. That tells me that the people who are in heaven, they don't know when Jesus is gonna to return to this earth. So when we die and go to heaven, we're not gonna know everything. But I think that this is a common misconception because people, uh, falsely take two verses and put them together and they come up with this idea. But the verses don't say what people think they say. People think the verses say, when we get to heaven, we will know as God knows. In other words, we will be omniscient, we will know everything. Let me show you the verses. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now notice what Paul says. Now I know, I, now I know in part, then I shall know Fully. And this is what Paul is saying. When I'm in heaven, I will have a heavenly perspective. I will understand now why the things happen that happen. But he's not saying that we're gonna know everything. The other verse is in 1 John chapter 3, verse two. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appear, we shall be like him. And they take from these verses, we will know everything. But understand, when it says that we're gonna be like him, remember that when Adam and Eve were created perfect, without sin, in the image of God, they were like God, but you know what? They weren't omniscient. They weren't all-knowing. And just as Adam and Eve weren't omniscient, we're not gonna be omniscient. When we get to heaven, we're not gonna know everything. But when you think about it, I think that's actually one of the great things about heaven. I mean, if you died, opened your eyes and you were in heaven and immediately you knew everything, you wouldn't have anything to explore. You wouldn't have anything to discover. You wouldn't have anything to learn. I believe that when we get to heaven, I think that we will be learning for all eternity. I think that we will be able to explore the galaxy better than the creators of the Hubble telescope ever imagined. I mean, think about it. We will have all eternity just to learn about God's creation. I tell you, if you like the Discovery Channel, you're gonna love heaven, okay? Fact number six, in heaven, we will know what's happening on earth. Now, I didn't believe that for a long time. In fact, uh, Laura's dad died a few years ago. He would have been 98 last week, and, and we were talking about that. But when, after he died, one night, Laura just asked me, she said, do you think my dad knows what's going on? I'm like, no, I, when you're in heaven, how could you enjoy the splendors of heaven? How could you be happy all the time? How could you have joy all the time if you knew all the mess that we were having to deal with on planet Earth? So I just assumed that you didn't know. But you go back to Revelation 6, what did the martyrs ask? When are you going to avenge our blood? When are you gonna make those people pay for what they did to us? In other words, they knew that the guys that executed them were still walking around on planet Earth. So now I do believe that we'll know what's taking place on Earth. But again, go back to what we talked about earlier. We will see it, we'll understand it from a heavenly perspective. And since we understand it from a heavenly perspective, 
it's going to be okay. Let me show you an example. Hebrews chapter 11, if you've been around church for a while, you know that it is known as the hall of faith, not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. And it goes through all of these great Old Testament characters who walked by faith and they trusted God. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse four, it says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. Verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life. By seven, by faith, it says, by, uh, verse seven, by faith, Noah built an ark. You get to verse eight, it talks about by faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, murder. And it just goes through all of these great Old Testament saints, these just rock stars. And then you get to the end of chapter 11 and you get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Now remember, chapter breaks are not inspired, okay? They were put there by the translators. And so when you get to Hebrew chapter 12, verse one, after the great hall of faith, all of these Old Testament saints, it says, therefore. Now here's a Bible study principle. Whenever you see the word therefore, ask yourself, what's it there for, okay? So you know it's referring back to what we've just read in chapter 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, verse one, this referring back to the saints in chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that there are people in heaven that are cheering us on. People in heaven, when we think we can't do it, they're like, you can do it. You can walk by faith. We walk by faith. You can walk by faith. We finish strong. You can finish strong. But they're cheering us on. Show you another interesting verse. Luke chapter 15, verse seven, Jesus is speaking. And he says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, I used to teach that that was speaking about the angels, that the angels were rejoicing in heaven. In fact, I used to paint this scenario. There's a big banquet hall and there's a big party and there's a banner with your name on it. And the angels are rejoicing. Because someone repented. In other words, someone responded to the gospel. Someone accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. But if you read verse 10, this is where Jesus is teaching about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Look what it says in verse 10. In the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. I had never put that together. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who, repoint, who repents. In other words, it's not the angels that are rejoicing. They're observing somebody else rejoicing. And now I believe that they are observing the rejoicing of our friends, our family, our loved ones who have gone on before us. In other words, when we finally, when it clicks and we respond to the gospel, maybe my grandpa in heaven is like, that kid was so arrogant, I didn't think he'd ever come around. Yeah, you know, right? Or they were so full of pride, they could never admit they were wrong or needed everything. Hallelujah, right? Finally, they've humbled themselves and they realize they need a savior. But I'm telling you, when we're in heaven, we're gonna know what's happening on earth. Fact number seven, in heaven, we will remember our lives on earth. I mean, think about it. The martyrs in Revelation 6, they remembered that they were murdered. I mean, maybe they had a club, martyrs club, you know. Imagine being at that. What happened to you? Oh, I was stoned. Ooh. How about you? I was drugged through the streets of Thessalonica by horses. That's crazy. 
How about you? Burned to death. Ugh, glad I avoided that. But, I mean, but, but they know what happened. They remembered what happened in their lives. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. When you get to heaven, if you don't have anything to compare it to, why would you even appreciate it? I remember when we were young and we first moved to Southern California and I went to my first USC Trojan game in the Coliseum. 100,000 people, that band coming down from the top of the stadium, if you've ever been there, and that drum major high-stepping, and then that, that Trojan getting on top of Traveler, whatever number, whatever number he was, that beautiful white stallion, and running laps around there. They were playing the Stanford Cardinals when John Elway was a quarterback. That was my first game. And I'm thinking, this is heaven. I mean, for a kid that wants to be a football coach, it doesn't get any better than this. But you know what made it so great? Perspective. Because I grew up going to Duke football games <laughs> where there are 321 fans, four people in the band, you know? you know? But perspective changes everything. So I believe that when we go to heaven, our memories are gonna make us grateful. We're gonna remember just how crappy this life was. We're gonna remember the pain, the suffering, the heartache, the sadness, and it's gonna give us perspective, but we will remember our lives on earth. Fact number eight, we will know other people in heaven. Remember what we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You know what I think? I think when we get to heaven, we'll finally know each other. I mean, let's be honest. Do we really know each other? No, we don't know each other. We think we know each other, but as I said a few weeks ago, we're pretty good at image management. We're pretty good at projecting an image that we want people to think about us, but people don't really know us. But when we get to heaven, we are finally going to understand each other. Hey, men, think about this. Some of us will now understand our wives for the first time. And we'll be like, oh, now I get it. You're incredible. You're, half, you're awesome. You're gonna have all eternity to just keep, just keep telling her that. that. Let me show you a great verse. Matthew chapter eight, verse 11. Jesus is speaking. Some of you ladies just got that. Jesus is speaking. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take, take their place at the feast. This is talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, imagine a banquet we're all Christians, all saints from all time together. This is right after we get to heaven, okay? Notice who'll be there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying that when you're in heaven, one day you'll be able to sit down with Noah and say, Noah, I'm, it's driving me crazy. I can't even get my dog in the car. How the heck did you get all that animals in that boat? And how did you keep Mrs. Noah from killing you from all the stench? I mean, tell me about it, Noah. Tell me, fill me in, right? Or David, I can't imagine. I know you were just a snot-nosed kid when you walked out in the valley of Elah and took on a nine-and-a-half-foot giant with nothing but a slingshot. What were you really feeling? No. Or Moses, when you were standing right there at the Red Sea and there's nowhere to go and the Egyptian army is bearing down on you from the rear, what are you gonna do? What were you thinking, Moses, when all of a sudden the Red Sea began to just pull back? What were you thinking? Or Mary, 
What was it like when the angel came to you and said, you have found favor among women and you're gonna give birth to the Son of God? We're gonna have the opportunity to do that for all, by the way, I worry a little bit because I told you I've been teaching for 40 years and I've taught on pretty much all these guys and pretty much aired all their dirty laundry. So I told Laura, I know what's gonna happen when I get to heaven. I'm gonna be walking down the street one day and I'm gonna hear, hey, Mike. And I'm gonna turn around and it's gonna be Rahab the harlot. She said, I heard the time you talked about me being in Jesus's family tree, Christmas time. You remember, Mike, you said I put the ho, ho, ho in Christmas, right? Want to apologize now? I say all this stuff, but say. You get a PE major for a minister, that's what you get, okay? You know what else is gonna be going on in heaven? We're gonna be shocked by the people who aren't there. And we're gonna be shocked by the people who are there. We're gonna be walking around for eternity saying, you made it? <laughs> yeah, you made it, yeah. But we're gonna know people in heaven. Fact number nine, heaven will not be boring. And I say that because I think we have the idea that heaven's gonna be you know, like mass for all eternity. My heart goes out to you former Catholics. I've only been to three mass, a wedding, a funeral, and one time coming back from the Central African Republic, we had a 12 hour layover in Paris and we took the train in, it dumped us out at the Notre Dame and I went to mass at the Notre Dame Cathedral. Not only was it mass, it was in another language. I mean, which just made it even worse, right? But it's not just mass. I mean, Laura and I went to lunch the other day and we sat right across the street from a very old uh, mainline denominational church. You know, it's one of those that every day the, t the chimes that ring on the hour and then at noon they play the hymn of the day. And that day they picked Onward Christian Soldiers. Well, Onward Christian Soldiers, man, I grew up in a Baptist church. That's a, that's a song of victory. Onward Christian Soldiers marching as to, I mean, that's a great song. This is how the church played it. Bong, 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 bong. It went on for hours. And I think this is why people, that's what heaven's gonna be like, you know? I've heard people say, I don't wanna go to heaven, I'd be bored to death. I don't wanna go to heaven, my friends, they won't even be there. But let me tell you, heaven gets a bum rap. And you know why heaven gets a bum rap, Christians? We're the problem, you know? We walk around and say stuff like, I've got the answer to life after death. What is it? Heaven, you can go to heaven. And somebody says, oh, where is it? I don't know. What's it like? I don't know, probably boring, you know? But let me tell you why studying stuff like this is so important. The more we understand heaven, the more motivated we are to make sure that our loved ones and our friends go there. And next week, I'm gonna tell you something. The more we understand hell, that it is a real place, the more motivated we're gonna to be to make sure that our friends and loved ones don't go there. But I'm gonna tell you something. We can't even begin to imagine the wow factor of heaven. I think it is gonna blow our minds. And you get a little bit of that wow factor in Revelation chapter 21, verse one. John is writing, remember he was banished to the Isle of Patmos? He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. 
And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. By the way, you, want, you can read the chapter. I'll give you the dimensions. It's 1,380 miles long. It's 1,380 miles wide. It's 1,380 miles high. It is a perfect cube. Now think about this. This is what's gonna happen. After the second coming, after the judgment, God is gonna totally destroy this earth. And he's gonna recreate it like he originally created it in the Garden of Eden. It is gonna be an absolute perfect paradise. And those of us who are Christians, it is this recreated earth, not floating around on a cloud somewhere, it's this recreated earth where we are going to spend all eternity. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is Jesus speaking, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. He's gonna dwell with us. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I mean, picture this. After thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history and war and disease and famine and politicians and news media, God is gonna destroy this earth and then he's gonna recreate it. He's gonna put it all back together again. And he is going to reestablish the context for a relationship with his prized creation that would be us. It doesn't say that about anybody else. It doesn't say that about your past. It doesn't say that about your dog, your cat, your ferret. It only, it only says that about mankind. But notice what it says in verse four. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now let me ask you a question. When's the last time somebody felt comfortable enough with you just to reach out and wipe a tear from your eye? You see, that's what our mom did to us when we were kids. That, that's a husband, that's a wife, when somebody's heart was broken. I've told you it's been a tough year for us personally, as a family. And we had one of those moments that kind of came to a head last Sunday night and we were waiting for something to happen and we knew something was gonna happen and we were praying for something to happen and after a while we realized it wasn't gonna happen. So I'd been watching football and out on the screen porch and finally after a while I came in and I just said, hey babe, it's, it's not gonna happen. And Laura's pretty stoic and she, you know, she went, she was making dinner and she, she took something out of the oven and she turned, I could see the tears. So I was, I was able just to, just to wipe them away. That's the scene here. And again, I don't know how it's gonna happen, but I want you to understand when God is on earth with us, this is how personal heaven is going to be. God says, I will take care of you. I will wipe every tear from your eye. Understand, that's the picture of the kind of relationship that God desires to have with each one. That's the picture of the kind of relations that, that, that God's always desired just to have with each one of us. Let me tell you, the greatest thing about heaven is not gonna be walking on gold streets or maybe living in a mansion. The greatest thing about heaven is gonna be the perfect relationship that we're gonna have with God. And think about this, the perfect relationships that we're gonna have with one another. So heaven will not be boring. Fact number 10. Not everyone will go to heaven. 
Only those who've accepted God's free gift of salvation through what Jesus Christ did through his death, his burial, his resurrection. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we're reconciled back into a relationship with God. That's who's gonna be there. You see, that's why Jesus said, and, and I know it sounds narrow, but Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So who's gonna be there? The people that believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that he came to be the Savior, take away the sins of the world. But I don't want you just leaving or turning off the TV or computer this weekend and thinking, you know, well, all I gotta do is say, Jesus, I believe. I believe, I believe there was a Jesus and I'll get to go to heaven. James says the, the demons believe and they shudder. Scares them to death realizing that there is a Jesus. If you do that, you're gonna miss it. You're gonna miss it. This is what Jesus said in John, Matthew 7, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, and he's talking about that judgment day, not a few, many will say, oh, Jesus, I did all these wonderful things in your name. I went to church every once in a while. I gave some money. I served. I even helped that poor person one time. And Jesus said, I will say to them, depart. Depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah, you did a lot of really, really good stuff. But you know what? We never had a relationship. You never committed your life to me. You never followed me and you'll miss heaven. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. That really isn't my goal in this series. And if it were up to me, I would have done it differently. I'm a harmony guy. I would have figured out how, you know, we could have all ended up happily ever after in heaven. But there's a God, and I'm not him, and I'm telling you, a lot of people are gonna miss it. But you need to understand this is real stuff, and this is heavy stuff. And we, we don't really live in a world, we live in a world that doesn't really think seriously about this stuff anymore. But according to the Bible, I mean, we're talking about our eternity that's at stake. So you gotta think about this stuff. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, I'm gonna let you go. I know what some of you are thinking, this guy's an idiot. I am never listening to him again. I'm, I'm just telling you what the Bible says about the future. I mean, you, you don't have to agree with me. In fact, you can make the decision to reject everything that I'm telling you. But I'm telling you, this is what the Bible says. And so you can reject it. That's certainly your choice. That's why God gave us all a free will. But I'll tell you this. If you reject it, you better make sure you have a better plan B. Just make sure. It's just very simple. You gotta get to the place where you realize I need saving and God gave me a savior and I accept that gift. I'm committing my life to following him. And when you do that, you'll never ever have to be afraid of the future again. How cool would that be? Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. We love you in the fact that while we were yet sinners and did not even desire to be in a relationship with you, you gave your son to die for us. 
And Father, you prepared a way so that we could be reconciled back into that relationship with you. And not even that, we can live the, we can live the life you designed us to live right now on planet Earth and as a cherry on top when we take our last breath here. We take our next breath with you in a place called heaven. We're forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We will be with you. I pray we take that seriously because as we're gonna see next week, the alternative is not good. But there is no middle ground. So Father, I would pray for those that are just dragging their feet to make that decision because Father, you could come back today tonight, tomorrow before we wake up because there's nothing, there's nothing right now to prevent you from turning to your son and say, go get him, go get him. And as we said last week, then that window of opportunity is closed. Help us to make that decision. Give us the strength, the courage to do the right thing. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.